Why don't, I, uh, why don't I start by thanking God? Oh my goodness, too much to thank God for. The beauty of the last few days, how the leaves just go, you know, where did they come from? They're all here all of a sudden. What an incredible blessing. To walk into this room and to feel the life of people caring for each other. I, I see people talking to each other and caring for the children and beautiful faces, the lovely smiles, the conversations go on. I'm just here to say thank you for that. Um, so I will. Father in heaven, we bow before you, thanking you for the spring, thanking you for the beauty of each day, thanking you for this wonderful group of people, Thanking you for this series on grace in which I've learned so much. I praise you and thank you, Father, for um, the beauty that you create. And I praise you now in Christ's name. Please help, Lord. Help me to say something that might be of help. We pray in Christ's name. I began in January with uh, <clears throat> this attempt to describe the indescribable. The grace of prayer is the inflowing and outflowing of the love of God experienced in any and every part of a believer's being, body, soul, and spirit. In other words, the word grace and the word prayer are somewhat synonymous. Other synonyms include life, gratitude, Christ in us, ongoing experiential salvation, oil poured on our heads, a foray into reality, a spirit living in us and within whom we live, truth exchanged, a sense of communion with all that exists, touching the source, a person, joy and sorrow drunk from the same cup, a gradual expansion, breaking out of a shell, a cry for help. During our last meeting together, we discussed the thinning of the old self, also called the false self or the ego. We discussed the fact that Christ is the new person we have become. The old self, which is our normal way of experiencing ourselves, is thinning or dissolving as a result of spirit-initiated communion with the Father who is inviting us to die to ourself. In order to become the very person he had in mind before he created time and matter and energy, as the old self loses its grip on us, we discover the originally intended person made in God's image, our true self emerging as the old self disintegrates. None of this happens without some kind of interaction with God. Since God is always taking the first step to enter our lives, it all happens through the grace of prayer. The process I'm talking about includes living at risk, letting that which we think we are sink down into the earth or dissolve into the air, in that letting go of the illusion that we are, in the illusion that we are in control of our life, 
a new and beautiful reality of who we are is being unveiled. The risk we take is daring to live in a state of childlike faith, constantly asking for forgiveness while standing in the confidence that we are already forgiven. We are childlike because we see ourselves as belonging to the Father of all. Our culture trains us to play the entitled cynic, bumping others aside to gain an imagined better place. In the grace of prayer, we jump out of our bumper car and sit still long enough for our head to stop spinning. In time, we can find a silence and stillness within. There we begin to realize that we have fallen for the illusion that we are autonomously real, apart from God. We become aware instead that to the core of our being we exist only as the Spirit of God breathes life into us, and not only us, but all those around us. And beyond that, the life of the Creator is maintaining the very being of every creature and inanimate, inanimate object that comes within reach of our consciousness. And all that is far beyond our limited ability to access mentally. How sweet it is to acknowledge our utter poverty as we sit quietly in the presence of one so awesome and our eyes begin to open to the inherent holiness of all that exists. We also become aware that we are aware through the service our minds of our minds and bodies. Without our help, our bodies take in air. They digest food and pump blood. Our senses pick up signals and our minds interpret them. Those interpretations join the endless flow of images and words our brains produce. In that flow, we can observe our habitual commentary, often negative, and our tendency toward critical judgment. We find ourselves passing judgment on just about everything, including, well, perhaps especially ourselves. That we are lovable enough to house the living God is a thought we resist. We think we are not enough yet. We are not really made in the image of God. We are somehow spoiled by our inadequacies and blemishes and sins. We are not yet fully saved. We begin to begin with our bodies fall short of what they, we think they should be. We are ashamed of the very God-constructed temple that we live in. We are too fat or too skinny. We are ashamed of the size of our noses and ears, the wrinkles and the moles, the shape and color of our eyes. Our age, we are too young or too old. We look around and we see what bodies others have been given and think they live in temples much more lovely than ours. We wonder how we can become more shapely and muscular 
toned and tanned, smart enough, impressive enough. But with all that effort, we are never quite good enough, and all the remakes and the makeup and deodorant doesn't seem to help us accept the image of God that we are. This is how the false self thinks. Jared Manley Hopkins joins the spirit to correct us, saying Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. The grace of prayer occurs in the moment we are lifted beyond self-focus and we join God in his view of who we really are. That moment is actually the same moment in which we see God for who he is. We see him as trustworthy and caring and honest and compassionate and delighting in the creatures that he made, that he, the creature he made each of us to be. For a time, we may say with Job, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. Then he touches our eyes and heart, and we begin to see who he is. We know him for the humble, all-powerful creator that he is. And in that moment, our opinions and critical commentaries cease to matter. For a moment, we stop judging ourselves, our roommates and our parents, our spouse and children and friends. We feel his generosity and goodness and the massive volume of love that is pouring from him like the wall of water that plunges over Niagara Falls. And from this vantage point, we see it is the same flood of love that passes between the Father and the Son, giving eternal giving returned in the instant that it is received, so palpable that it too is named, and we call it the Spirit of God. We see ourselves caught in the middle of this surge. To see ourselves caught in the middle of this surge <clears throat> is to know the grace of prayer. With Job, even in our blindness, we can say, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Prayer is this sense In more than discursive propositions offered to God, it is an acceptance of the Holy Spirit's invitation to the awareness of the presence of the Trinity within who is constantly loving us into being. I'd like to stop there for a minute for a moment of silence. Um, Perhaps you could think of the moment in your life, the moments in your life, the many moments, the single moment, the single most impressive moment 
in which you felt the presence of God. Just think about that for a moment. I believe that telling our stories of these precious moments with God reinforces the reality of the experience and helps us to discard the extra stuff that gets in there. Um, would somebody be willing to share your experience? Now I'm warning you if you don't share I'm going to have to I'm going to have to read you a poem that I wrote and <laughs> Oh I see a hand yes Oh Monica yes Thank you, Monica. Should we take another one before I race onward? Over here, Whoa! Please, please, Chip. Um, I, I'm not going to get through this without trying, but there, I can't even explain to you the depths and the lengths of the years. Um, and the sheer joy that I have this memory. Um, when we adopted Sarah, and when we were in China, there are lots of things leading up to it. So first of all, I totally felt God's presence in the simple fact that I would ride an elevator 18 floors up. 
27 floors up, my dude, in a hotel. I'm claustrophobic. And like the thought that we lived in a hotel and in crowded China, and I never once felt a panic attack was like God's God's grace there and feeling his presence. But um, the day that we first saw her, it had been my prayer that kind of praying through space and time that as she left everything she knew, that God's presence would be with her and that that's what she would know. And so as hard of a time as it would be, it would be, um, of, you know, she would feel God's presence. And the gift that we received at the end of our trip was a man asking heaven if he knew the Holy Spirit <laughs> and he believed in him. And um, he said yes, we were talking about He said, and he happened to have been in the room when we received Sarah. He also was adopting. And he um, didn't share with us that day that I truly felt this. He's like, I saw, he goes, I've seen the Holy Spirit three times in his life. And he goes, one was when he received your daughter. Oh. And it, it really, I mean, it was such, it was just amazing because we had this whole week where I had felt that and believed it and known it and um, that my prayer had been answered, that God was with her, and then to have the true amazing gift of knowing the side of heaven that he really was there in a physical way um, that someone saw. So that wow. was one of the most <laughs> tangible moments. Thank you so much for sharing that. Hmm. <clears throat> Here's a poem I wrote, How to Catch God. A little hiatus to the rest of this stuff I put together. How to Catch God. You think he's there where your clothes meet your skin. The itch must be scratched. You lure him with songs and find he's not hiding. He enters your ears, your pores, your eyes when you are not paying attention. You catch a glimpse and slam your lids shut and catch him on the retina or perhaps you've trapped him like a firefly in your cupped hands opening them carefully near your face. You peek between your fingers, but the light is gone. Only the moon shines on the blossoms that crowd the apple branches. You reach up, up, up into the spicy night air until petals fleck your face, your shoulders, your once black hair. Let's talk about the wilderness. Uh, the wilderness is the place Jesus, the prophets, and the people met with God. Mark tells us the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. Matthew and Luke writes that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So which was it? Was he driven or was he led? 
Tell me some features of wilderness. Being led or driven into the wilderness. Can you think of uh, some of the features of wilderness? Scarcity. Scarcity. Dry. Dry. Rough. Rough. Wild. Wild. Oh, good. I didn't hear that one. Chaotic. Chaotic. Unknown. Solitary. Solitary. No roads. Without roads. Thorny. Thorny. Uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. We left our comforts behind. Hmm. I haven't heard very beautiful. (laughs) But it is. All what you said was true, right? But it is very beautiful, even in its harshness. There's no work there that people think is productive. (laughs) No agriculture, no domesticated animals. Could be dangerous. Burning bushes are everywhere. (laughs) It's interesting that three times Jesus asks the question to the crowd of people that have gathered around him, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? (laughs) He repeats that three times. Picnic, maybe, curiosity. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Well, maybe, maybe we wanted to find that prophet and hear his words. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? We went out to find forgiveness for our sins and to have all our guilt and shame washed away. We may have difficulty hearing the voice of God when we go out into the wilderness. At times in prayer, I feel like I am wasting time that could be devoted to something really productive. Why all this wrestling with distractions when I could be earning some money or spending it? Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness struggling with such distractions that Satan threw at him. To do something ego-building, something useful. This time in the wilderness training in hearing God's voice must have given Jesus the great sensitivity to the voice of God that he displays in the Gospels. But the following story shows how the Father helps us in our weakness. In John's Gospel, remember how, as the crucifixion approaches, Jesus suddenly lifts up his voice and prays, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. 
And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. In this I see the grace of God, making his voice and the voice of his son more evident. Though we have not yet learned to quiet our inner voices enough to hear it properly. But here again the Lord answers us in the secret place of thunder. That place is within us and among us. Lord, teach us to sit still. Teach us to listen. Recently when I was leading children's worship, the Bible passage told the story of Jesus calming the sea. And after each story in this booklet that we use for the, uh, for the worship time with the children, the storyteller presents the children with a number of I wonder statements. The children are then invited to share their thoughts or remain quiet after each I wonder statement. And toward the end of the list, I read, I wonder why the wind and the sea did what Jesus said. One young man who had never before responded to any of my statements or any of the wonder statements said something I could not hear. So I addressed him by name and I asked if he would say it a little bit louder. This is what he said. The wind and the sea remembered his voice from when Jesus created them. The memory of the voice of the Good Shepherd, I believe, is locked into each of ourselves. The grace of prayer, then, is doing what the wind and the sea did. The psalmist says, in distress you called, and I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I don't think we can force God to make us aware of his voice. But I think because he made us in his image, it's possible that we may be able to assume the stance that provides the least resistance to his felt presence. Let me ask you, what might this stance look like? Any thoughts? What might that stance look like that provides the least resistance to our awareness of God's presence. Sacrifice of God is a broken spirit. Very beautiful.
Yeah. Hmm. Humble, broken in spirit. Another? Yeah. Yeah. Submissive, vulnerable. Empty, helpless, patient, grateful. I promised last time that I would talk with you a little bit about Gigo's Ladder. Some of you might remember. That was in January. That was a long time ago. Should I, maybe I'll, I'll go ahead and, and talk about Gigo's ladder. In the mid 12th century, a monk named Gigo, I think he must have lived in Italy, who was known for his intense love of God, was asked by one of the brothers named Germain about the path to deepening, to a deepening relationship with God. Gigo wrote a public letter to Germain explaining that while he was still in work in the fields, he felt that God spoke to him about Germain's question. His letter that he writes, it was kind of a public letter, describes a ladder to heaven like the one Jacob saw in his dream, but this one only had four rungs. So we start at the base. Perhaps the ladder was like one of the handmade ladders of our African friends, who would make them out of branches and use them to construct their grass roofs. Their ladders had three legs, like a three-legged stool, making the base of the ladder to heaven very firm and stable. Metaphorically, that base is a person's faithfulness to his or her daily practice of seeking God in prayer. It is the time or times that you can meet with God daily without interruption. When you hear the invitation to sit at God's table with him, be sure to thank him and plan to join him at that appointed time. But your own self-discipline, sad to say, will not be enough to bring you daily to the quiet place where God's love can be enjoyed. But when God's pleasure and your pleasure become one, you will show up. The first rung. So we move from the base to the first rung of the ladder, which is spiritual reading. By this, Gigo meant that a person begins to get insight into the ways of God and can learn to hear his voice by reading the scriptures. How is this different from what every evangelical child is told? Perhaps that the only goal of this reading is absorption of the scriptures. It involves slowly reading with no goal to reach the end. This is experiencing the living word of Isaiah that comes down from the skies like rain and snow and always bears fruit, 
This reading is indistinguishable from prayer because the reader is listening with his heart and his head, seeking to live in God's presence. The reading is not a long passage because we recognize how slow we are to understand. This reading is preparing us for meditation, which is the second rung. Meditation, the second rung, may involve rereading or reading again. Your whole mind and heart pours over the words devotionally and repetitively. You may avoid academic investigation of the meaning in the original language and the cultural context. That important work is for your study time. Instead, the person on the second rung often uses his imagination or her imagination to place him or herself into the biblical scene by becoming one of Jesus' followers, walking with him, perhaps, on the road to Emmaus. Or the prayer may take the role of Martha and continue the conversation with Jesus about all the work she is doing without the help of her sister Mary. Perhaps the person moving into meditation will find herself writing the 27th Psalm with David, pouring out her heart in song with the words, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Which brings us to the third rung. That experience of engaging with your imagination and feelings while meditating on scripture moves the prayer to the third rung. Notice I did not say that the person on the ladder climbs to the next rung. No. He or she is like the angels who move up and down Jacob's ladder under the power of the Spirit. In the process of meditation on the second rung, the lover of God rises to the third rung quite effortlessly. He or she begins expressing to God the desires that emerged from the meditation. The meditation of rung two brings the seeker to ask God, May I sit at your feet like Mary and learn from you, Jesus? Would you give me the gift of listening to you every day? Could I really live in your house all the days of my life and gaze on your beauty? Lord, you promised to be with us and in us. It is here in your word. Please give me the joy of your presence. And so the third rung is praying for the desires that emerged from your meditation. The fourth and the last rung is the answer to that cry to be in God's presence and gaze at his beauty. It is dawning awareness that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus by grace acknowledged as the deep center of our being. It is the experience of Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
It is the awareness of the Father's glory already given as Jesus promised, saying, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. So Abba Gigo puts it this way, the fourth rung is the sweetness of prayer. It is the joy unspeakable and full of glory that Peter wrote about in his first letter, saying that we all have it. It is the fourth rung that brings us to the door of heaven. So what do you do when you reach the top of the ladder? We, call, we recall that on Jacob's ladder, the angels were ascending and descending. When you reach the top and enjoy the sweetness of God's presence, you return to the base, the foundation, the solid base of the concrete reality of the earth from which we were all made. Reminded of our humble origins, we begin again to rise up the four rungs, lifting ourselves only as we are being lifted by God. You may recognize Gigo's ladder as a description of Lexio Divina. David Benner puts it this way, Lexio is the prayer of listening, watching, waiting, and seeking to discern the presence of God, who is not only always present, but always reaching out to us in love. We do not pray so that we can get God's attention. We pray so that God will get our attention. We pray so that as our attentiveness to God increases, our souls may be shaped by the reality of God's constant, loving, self-revealing presence. By the way, people experience these rungs of the ladder out of order yeah, and in all combinations. They're very shifty, these rungs. <laughs> We're grateful that we cannot control the grace of God. Now, I feel like I've been up here for a very long time. Does that mean that it's almost time to or, or am I, are my senses deceiving me here? Two minutes. Two minutes. Whoa. <laughs> so this page gets thrown off. <laughs> Let me just finish up with this. It's still Easter season. And those born again by the resurrection of Christ, as those born again by the resurrection of Christ, we share in the Lord's experience of new life. And as a result, we are as lovable as every newborn is lovable in his naked helplessness. But before we experience this resurrection life, we go with Christ the way of the cross. This always includes our dawning awareness of our sinfulness, our faults, and our addictions. When we admit to God, ourselves and others, what we are so afraid to admit, be it ever so small, we put to end some of our illusions. And it is this dying to every little piece of our false selves that there is in this, that there is newness of life. Julian of Norwich describes it this way, we need to fall and we need to be aware of it. For if we did not fall, 
We should not know how weak and wretched we are of ourselves, nor should we know our Maker's marvelous love so fully. Perhaps you've heard of Kierkegaard's comments on the two doors. One is marked God. The other is marked what people say about God. Only one or two people are standing at the first door, marked God, while there is a long and winding line of people waiting at the ladder. Let's take the opportunity to switch lines. You have been patiently listening to my talking here about God and about prayer, but... uh, Isaiah, God through Isaiah, invites us, come to me, listen to me, and you will delight in the richest affair. Our whole being can be engaged in relating to God as a person, a father, and a friend. It is in attentive listening that we can experience the very presence of God. This is choosing the door-marked God. So my conclusion, the grace of prayer is being led into the wilderness, even driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to meet the Father and the Son. May Christ be born anew in us all. Thank you. I have a sheet of paper that you can have that I didn't hand out at the beginning and because it doesn't really... Relate, but it says on the top of it some helpful, some helps for those interested in contemplative prayer. And on the back, um, there's a prayer from Thomas Merton, in case you're interested. So I'll have these passed out. Who wants to help?